So consider this episode 2.5 because um, a couple of things have just happened since I published the uh, the last episode. One is I listened to the latest episode, episode 9, as of recording, of uh, Spike Pit. And I tried to phone in and leave a voice message for Colin, but I'm an anchor noob and I didn't realize that voice messages are cut off after one minute. So I rambled on for quite a long time after that. And basically the gist of what I was trying to say was never recorded. So I'm going to basically respond in this episode. Um, Colin was talking about dark vision and infravision and basically how it's a bit game breaking. Um, I advise you to uh, subscribe to his podcast and listen to the episode in question so you can get his actual thoughts because he can explain it better than I can. Um, but he did mention that he was thinking about banning dark vision and infravision from his game. And he wanted to know what people's thoughts are on that. And, you know, I'm a big fan of what you call the three little brown booklets or the three LBBs, the, the first three booklets, the uh, the absolute original version of D&D. Before the Greyhawk Supplement, before Blackmore, before, before Eldritch Wizardry and Deities and Demigods. Um, and in the three LBBs, it does not say anything about characters being able to see in the dark. So obviously humans can't. I'm looking at the description of dwarves. Dwarves may opt only for the fighting class and they may never progress progress beyond 6th level Myrmidon because they had named levels back then. Their advantages are, 1. They have a high level of magic resistance and thus add 4 levels when rolling saving throws. A 6th level dwarf equals a 10th level human. That doesn't always indicate a, the same bonus because your 4 levels higher may not actually give you a bonus depending on how when you level up in your saves. 2. They are the only characters able to fully employ the plus three magic warhammer explained in volume two. Well, it's good to know that, isn't it? And three, they note slanting passages, traps, shifting walls, and new construction in underground settings. Now, the slanting passages thing, that is something Gary Gygax invented to screw players, basically. Nobody in their right mind would ever build a dungeon with a slanting passage that was so shallow, or such a shallow slope that anybody but a dwarf would not realize they were going underground. There's no way that any person would build a usable occupation that needed to have such a gradual slope. He did that to trap you into going to a dungeon which was too low for your too too deep for your level because the implication was always that the deeper you went underground, the more dangerous it went. So that is pure guy gax. Um but it's a very good idea. Four, they are able to speak the languages of gnomes, kobolds, and goblins in addition to the usual tongue see languages in this volume. That is it. Nothing about infravision or dark vision. Elves. Elves can begin either as fighting men or magic users and freely switch class whenever they choose, from adventure to adventure, but not during the course of a single game. Thus, they gain the benefits of both classes and may use both weaponry and spells. They may use magic armor and still act as magic users. Note, it does not say that they can use armor and act as magic users. So put your chainmail back if you're going to go down into the dungeon as a magic user. Unless it's elven chain. However, they may not progress beyond 4th level fighting man, hero, nor 8th level magic user, warlock. Elves are more able to note secret and hidden doors. I love how 
it doesn't say how much more able. Later on in uh, in Volume Three, Underworld and Wilderness, you will learn that elves can find a secret door on a roll of four or lower on a d6, whereas most people, most hu- like a human, would have a two and six chance. And it suggests that you even allow elves to uh, a two and six chance of just noticing a secret door without actually actively searching for it. But he doesn't put that in this book, in this booklet, because this is the player booklet, and you're going to make that roll behind the DM screen. So the players don't need to know what their chances are. They just they just need to know that that's one of the advantages they get for playing an elf. They also gain the advantages noted in chainmail when fight when the noted in the chainmail rules when fighting certain fantastic creatures. Finally, elves are able to speak the languages of orcs, hobgoblins, and gnolls in addition to their own elvish and the other usual tongues. So nothing about dark vision there. Now, if we go to Little Brown Booklet Number Two: Monsters and Treasures. So functions are general. This is just a general description of monsters that they their functions are generally as indicated in chainmail, were not contradictory to the information stated here and after. And it is generally true that any monster or man can see in total darkness as far as the dungeons are concerned, except player characters. If you go to the chainmail rules, dwarves and gnomes, because of their natural habitat, because their natural habitat is deep under the ground, these stout folk operate equally well day or night. It doesn't say anything about infravision, but it does imply they can see in the dark. If you go down to elves, elves and fairies, armed with deadly bows and magical swords, elves and fairies are dangerous opponents considering their size and build. Notice he seems to think that elves are small, like Christmas elves, not tall and, and slender like Tolkien elves. They can perform split move and fire, even though they are footmen, and when invisible, elves and fairies cannot attack or be attacked unless located by an enemy with a special ability to detect hidden or invisible troops. But they can become visible and attack during the same turn. It doesn't say anything about seeing in the dark. So elves cannot see in the dark at all. Dwarves can see in the dark if they are monsters, but this phrase, except player characters, implies that if you want to play a dwarf... You have to use a torch like everybody else. Um, keep in mind that the three little bla- three little brown booklets also suggest that you let players play a dragon if they want to, as long as you start them, you know, at a relatively low level, a, a first level dragon like a wormling or something. Um, presumably, you wouldn't let that player character dragon see in the dark either. So, I would say that there is a perfectly good foundation for removing dark vision and infravision from the game entirely. You're perfectly justified in doing that. Um, Obviously, this was something that came in later when people are like, well, you know, we do need to make elves and dwarves a little bit special. And in fact, I think it was only dwarves that had infravision and elves didn't get it at all. And it doesn't like... 3.5 3.5 actually technically give elves low light vision or something like that because they live in the forest and the forest is dark, but it's not as dark as like an underground mine where a dwarf might live. But, you know, I think, Colin, you're perfectly justified in feeling that dark vision of any kind is a little bit overpowered. Darkness is meant to be an obstacle in the dungeon. It's meant to make the dungeon area more challenging. And the original rules talk about having random drafts um, that come out and blow your torch out so that you have to relight your torch. And having the ability to see in the dark in any way, on any level, 
is going to just circumvent that, remove that challenge from the game. So, yeah, you know, it probably is overpowered. And if you want to run your game saying, no, you can't see in the dark, nobody can see in the dark, you have to use a light source. I'd say you are, you are well within your rights. I can't promise the players won't have a shit fit, but, you know, <laughs> I'm sure they'll get over it. Um, so that's the first thing that happened. I hope that uh, um, answers your question, Colin, because he sent me another message letting me know that my that my voicemail had been uh, had been cut off and wanted to know the rest of my thoughts. The other thing that happened, um, I hope this isn't like tooting my own horn. I don't want to be that guy who's like always bragging about stuff. But if uh, if you follow. Uh, Eric Tankar's podcast, Tavern Chat, and and his blog, Tankar's Tavern, he's been talking a lot about um, this ongoing escapade with Ken Whitman, con man Ken. I'm not going to weigh in on that personally. Eric's doing a fine job commentating on that. Um, but one of the things he posted is he posted on, on, on the blog and on the Facebook page... Um, a copy of an email. Ken, Ken's emails, apart from being really offensive and probably continually shooting himself in the foot, they are plagued with horrible spelling and grammar. And as an editor, I, <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to take it. But he referred to himself, he obviously meant a marketing genius, but he referred to himself as a marketing genies like the plural of genie. So um, I decided, I just commented on the post on the Facebook page, somebody should make a marketing genie as a swords and wizardry monster. And I, Eric Tankar has just done it. He's just posted it on his, on his blog. Um, so the fact that I've had this indirect response you know, or this in indirect influence on this community is just amazing. You know, it's just, it's just a little thing. I'm not saying I'm the greatest guy in the world or something, but I, I am surprised and honored that, you know, my little throwaway joke has actually amounted to this thing. So the marketing, oh, the ma ma mystical, magical backwater marketing genie. If one didn't know better, they might suspect that they had come in contact with some backwoodsman that had avoided contact with sentient creatures for the last dozen odd years, but they would be sorely mistaken. This is uh, Eric Tankor's description of the monster. No, despite their disheveled appearance and natural order, odor, sorry, there is much more here than is seen by the naked eye, or smelled even by the most sensitive noses. The threat of a marketing genie is that one us underestimates what one sees. In truth, although quick to engage in conversation, they only make nonsensical statements in an effort to confuse their opponents. When engaging a marketing genie in any kind of discourse, save or suffer negative four to all actions for 1d6 rounds successful save causes rage in the opponent plus two to all attacks against the marketing genie for 1d6 rounds the main attack of a marketing genie is his breath weapon it can emit a foul odor causing all within a 15 foot radius to save or be unable to take any actions for 1d6 rounds followed by 1d6 rounds of all actions at negative two in combat a marketing genie prefers flight to fight and will flee combat at the first opportunity. If forced to fight, 
It attacks as a second level creature for 1d6 minus 2 damage minimum 1 point and will complain continuously about old football injuries. If one is able to successfully capture a marketing genie, it will promise its captor one wish, which it says it will grant when the stars align and the moon is bright and the dew falls at just the right. In any case, a situation that will never occur. Such it is with a marketing genie. Then the official stat blocks, armor class 5 or 14 if you're using ascending armor class, hit dies 4, total hit bonus, plus 2, see above. Attacks, so it's a four hit dice creature, but it attacks as a second hit, as a two hit die creature. So it only gets two plus two to its attack bonus. Attacks, two fists, one d6, or one fist actually, is this, is this Swords and Wizardry light? Fists, one d6, minus two, minimum one point. Saving throw, ten. Save bonus is due to pure obstinance, so it shouldn't have that save. It should have a worse save, but it has that save because, um, it's pure pure obstinance. Special breath weapon confusion. And its movement is twelve or fifteen when fleeing combat. So great job. Um you know, I'm I'm tempted to use this monster in the game, actually. Um apart from that, I've been very much enjoying hearing Ken's emails. Um I don't want to say too much, um, because he seemed like a vindictive bastard and I wouldn't want him to start sending me emails, but, um, but yeah, this is, this is huge to a little person like me that, that Eric Tankar would like, you know, read that comment and say, yeah, I'm going to do that, you know? Um, so I really appreciate it. And once again, I am, you know, honored and humbled and delighted by all of this attention so far. So, um, that's uh yep that's all that's it for episode 2.5 um i still haven't found i still haven't figured out a sign off so um i will get back to work on that